I've been traveling recently and have come across several women who are in the process of or are contemplating leaving. And I don't mean either feet first or to go into a retirement community. They want to leave their current living situation. One woman, an American, has been living with her Southeast Asian Arab husband in an Arab country for more than 30 years. He is controlling, manipulative, and either totally disengaged or emotionally abusive, according to her, of course. I don't know him. Note, he wasn't always like this, but he does play the culture card that contributes to her feeling stifled. They have two adult children, one with serious developmental challenges, the other with physical ones. Yet she is ready, or thinks she is, to give up the role she's played for so long as their caretaker, to find or rediscover her true self, to come back to the U.S. where she believes she can live more freely. However, she is constrained by the financial hold her husband has over her, as well as by her guilt over leaving her children. Another woman I recently met, who also has adult children at home in Virginia, though temporarily, is easing her way out of her marriage and home life by taking on traveling nursing jobs, itinerant posts that allow her to live away most of the time, but close enough to still tether her to the home she is reluctant to completely leave. She knows if she does that, it would mean forfeiting the relationship she has with her in-laws and extended family, and she dreads losing that family life, those close ties. Here in the U.S. and throughout my travels internationally, I meet women who are, or feel they are, trapped by the demands, real or imagined, of others. He controls the money. They need her. She has to do thus and such because, whatever. She feels guilty if she can't do that because her culture, society, family would disapprove, would judge her falsely, would isolate or shun her. A woman's personal agency, the ability to make decisions and act on them, even for women of a certain age, that is, according to the French, between 40 and death, seems to always be in question, no matter how old, mature, or accomplished she is. Our need, biological, sociologically induced, to care for others, please others, be responsible for others, seems often to prevent us from doing what is best for us as individuals. So-called feminist psychology says much of this has to do with the fact that most of us live in patriarchal societies, which define our roles as having less personal and social power than men. There are many studies that have been conducted on personal agency, including from the aforementioned feminist perspective. But ultimately, personal agency is something that can be cultivated. In her article for Ness Labs entitled High Agency, How to Feel More in Control in Your Life and Work, Lindsay Morgia cites three characteristics that social cognitive theory says give rise to self-agency. The first is intentionality. 
the assumption that you can make conscious uh, choices to improve your life by setting goals and identifying action steps to achieve them. The second is power, which means that you have the resources, capabilities, and knowledge to act on your goals. And the third is rationality, which presupposes you understand the circumstances of your situation and can keep track of the outcomes of your actions. Morgia goes on to add some other characteristics. Forethought, which entails identifying possible outcomes from your learning experiences. Self-regulation, which is your capacity to monitor your emotions, behaviors, and motivations as you act on your goals. And self-efficacy, the belief that you can succeed. In Social Cognitive Theory, Morja writes, quote, Beliefs are as important as actions in developing a sense of agency. How a person understands herself and her environment influences her ideas about what is possible and will determine her level of personal agency, unquote. And I put in the uh, feminine pronouns there. I would also add that personal agency also includes adherence to the principle of the so-called serenity prayer. That is, having the serenity to know what you can change and what you cannot change, and change the things you can. Taking the huge life step of leaving a home uh, situation isn't easy, but I don't know a single woman who has done it who has not found it to be rewarding and fulfilling. And they're doing it a lot. For example, divorce. The American Bar Association points out that gray divorce is a term that's been coined because while the overall divorce rate is going down, the rate among those 50 plus is going up, currently making up a quarter of all divorces with 10% among people 65 years and older. There are, of course, several reasons for this. We're living longer. We don't necessarily want to stay in the same relationship for 20 Uh, 30 or even 40 more years. The stigma of divorce doesn't exist as it once did. Um, After becoming empty nesters, some couples realized that raising children was what was keeping them together. They're not who they were when they were married. There's been infidelity or substance abuse, and people refuse to accept, much less enable such behavior. Or simply, they want happiness in their twilight years. Great divorce, the ABA points out, is not the same as a typical divorce. Most great divorce clients are retired or near retirement or have reasons why they aren't yet retired. Most great divorce clients have grown children and even grandchildren. And most great divorces will have a complicated division of assets due to the length of the marriage as well as the partner's lifestyle and roles played during the marriage. In his blog on gray divorce, attorney Michael Robbins of Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, points out what is arguably the obvious, quote, for those who want to end a relationship with a cheating or abusive spouse, gray divorce can give you another chance to make a life for yourself that brings you joy, love, and happiness. 
And although finances may be tighter, there is an emotional impact for a person who chooses a gray divorce, which can be positive and significant. Most often, financial drawbacks are the biggest downside to a gray divorce. In Michigan, Robbins writes, and it's true in other states, of course, property division rules in a divorce require all marital assets and debts to be equally divided between the spouses, and the equitable distribution process usually involves a division of retirement savings. In addition, spouses will be living on their own, paying for their household costs on one income instead of two, unquote. That is indeed a reality check. In her May 24th, 2021 Psychology Today blog, Anne Gold Bush, uh, Busho, or Bushko, B-U-S-C-H-O, Ph.D., also details the complexities of a gray divorce and talks about the emotional dimension. Quote, divorce is almost always a life crisis, and when older people, especially women, divorce, they may feel it's too late to start over. There is an increased risk of anxiety and depression, especially if you're the person who didn't want the divorce. She writes about Barbara, her pseudonym for a client, who complained that her husband, Sean, also a pseudonym, would probably find a new partner easily, but, quote, no one wants a washed-up old lady. Barbara's anxiety about this, Butchko writes, increased until she realized that several of her friends had remarried in midlife, unquote. Personally, I'm not so sure that after 60 is midlife, but who knows? Typically, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, assets in a marriage is the marital home. Mary Salisbury, a certified divorce financial analyst and divorce mediator and the founder of The Right Divorce Solution, LLC, offers some excellent reasons on why you should keep the marital home and why you shouldn't. But, quote, keeping the marital home can be one of the biggest financial mistakes made in divorce, she said, even though renting can be uh, more expensive than a mortgage payment. The family home also feels good, and you may not have the credit standing to buy something else. But Salisbury writes, quote, any house is a money burden, and if it's too big, even more so. On top of the mortgage, there is more to insure, tax, heat, and cool, and often a bigger yard to maintain. More square feet mean more potential for repairs, more roof to replace, more siding and windows to maintain, and paint, etc. Unscrupulous contractors can prey upon women who don't have a clue about home repairs and what they should cost, unquote. If you want to leave, if you need to leave, if you know you're ready to leave, you have a plan and you're acting on it, know also there will be an emotional roller coaster, just as there is going through grief. Donna McGough, a certified life coach specializing in divorce recovery and founder of Living Above the Ordinary, talks about the phases of post-divorce. First phase, rejection, refusing to accept the here and now, not allowing the feelings you need to cope with in order to begin the healing process. Two, resentment, 
when you have trouble handling the conflicting feelings you're experiencing and finding yourself trapped in victimhood. Three, negotiation, whereby you want to replay the past so that there's a different outcome, as in what if or if only. And there's remorse, the phase in which you withdraw into yourself, taking some indeed healthy and needed time for personal reflection and soul searching. And that phase is the precursor to the last phase, according to McGough, that she calls reality. You may still feel pain and loss, but you can live with it now. In this phase, she says, you are ready to extend your arms out and embrace the readiness to move on. Regret and remorse may still be lingering, but you can now see the light at the end of the tunnel with hopeful eyes. It's not that you are fully recovered and healed from the past, but there is enough space within to change your reality without. You are ready and have made the decision to embrace a new beginning. There may still be some fear of the unknown, but you accept your life as it is now, and you want to begin to create a new purposeful life going forward." Unquote. This is how Polish poet Anna Swear expressed that feeling of a new purposeful life once she was ready to leave in her poem, I'll Open the Window. Our embrace lasted too long. We loved right down to the bone. I hear the bones grind. I see our two skeletons. Now I am waiting till you leave, till the clatter of your shoes is heard no more. Now, silence. Tonight I am going to sleep alone on the bedclothes of purity. Aloneness is the first hygienic measure. Aloneness will enlarge the walls of the room. I will open the window and the large frosty air will enter, healthy, as tragedy. Human thoughts will enter and human concerns, misfortune of others, saintliness of others, they will converse softly and sternly. Do not come anymore. I am an animal very rarely. Thanks so much for listening. As usual, resources will be listed on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. Have a great week. You have been listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.